On this episode of Mammoth Weekly, it's a potpourri of a lot of different information. We'll recap what was an extremely busy week on campus, scholarship week for our student population, faculty staff awards given out during the course of the end of the academic year, an athletic update, and we'll look at the most recent information involving the COVID pandemic. This is faculty member Matt Harmon alongside University President Patrick Leahy. It's episode number 28 of our Mammoth Weekly podcast. Thanks as always for listening. Well, it's Monday morning here at the Jersey Shore and looking forward to another episode of our Mammoth Weekly podcast series with President Leahy. I'm Matt Horman. Uh, a very busy week. We're a couple of days behind where we usually be uh, would be in our bi-weekly kind of schedule. But President Leahy, that's because last week was so busy and, and, and so busy in a lot of good ways. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk to um, and break down. But but as always, I start with a, a good morning and hope on, on this particular case, rather than wish you a good weekend going into it, I hope you had a good weekend coming out of it. We did. Good morning to you too, Matt. Always nice to be with you. Monday morning is uh, is uh, an atypical time for us to be together. But as you said, there's so much to discuss and to recap from last week that uh, maybe the timing's working out well here. Yeah, and, and what was uh, clearly clearly a busy week, but still on the minds of so many people, you know, interesting to see as as things start to, I guess I'd say normalize a little bit, open back up a little bit. Um, there's been so much talk, and I know within the university community, there's been talk there as well in terms of just where COVID sits on the, on the university's campus and talk about vaccines and things like that. So maybe we can start this morning just just kind of recapping right now where Mammoth is in kind of the world of COVID and the pandemic. Yeah, thanks for asking, Matt. Uh, I'm pleased to tell you that uh, COVID is sitting, if you will, fairly quietly here on campus. And I knock on wood every time I say that, of course, but our caseload is uh, at a very manageable think maybe single digits or, or maybe 10 cases. Remember that any case can be serious, so we take them all very, very seriously, but uh, a very modest number of cases that's leading to a very modest number of isolation and quarantine situations. So I feel very positive about where we are. I credit our testing regimen for, for this. I mean, we have been aggressively testing all semester, including a lot of batch testing or pool testing, which has proven to be a very effective way to identify cases very early and to keep them from spreading. I think at last count, uh, we had conducted over 12,000 tests this spring. And um, I'm very grateful to everybody in our health services area for conducting those tests and managing them as carefully as possible. So. I feel very positive about the way in which we've been able to navigate this semester as we get into what is essentially the final week of classes. Can you believe it? Um, it leads to a very big question. I think maybe uh, you're going to ask me about vaccinations, right? I think that's uh, a logical place to go with this. You know, the, and I just pulled up the, the COVID dashboard right now. Um, as it sits as of yesterday, when the last time it was updated, five active cases on campus, 329 recovered cases. So, so five is a pretty good number. You know, when you think of it, I mean, clearly there's been 
Um, there's been some improvement in, in New Jersey. There's been some improvement in surrounding states. But to only have five active cases right now on campus, to your point, the, the testing obviously has worked and um, the, the process of people getting vaccinated have worked as well. I think you and I have, have spoke about it in a previous episode. You know, I, I, I do some um, work in Vermont during the course of the winter months on the ski patrol. So we were actually considered frontline workers. So I got my first shot in December, was fully vaccinated in January. So I was ahead of the curve a little bit. But now as you start to see people opt into getting vaccinated, get the first shot, get the second, um, clearly that's making a, a, a dent in terms of number of cases on campus. And we're doing everything we can as a university to aid in the distribution of the vaccine to our uh, constituents. Uh, we announced last week two initiatives. Uh, the first was a partnership with Hackensack Meridian Health, which, as you know, is one of the great healthcare systems in our community. And uh, we partnered with them and they dedicated to us 200 uh, vaccine appointments dedicated to, to Monmouth University, so they won't go uh, elsewhere. And uh, that allowed us first to distribute those links, if you will, to any interested parties in our community. And then they go onto that link and then they find where among their healthcare facilities those, those appointments are available and uh, they can sign up and commit to those appointments. That, that we felt gave our constituents as much flexibility as possible to make it as convenient as possible to them. And then in addition to that, in addition to that, we were able to secure a number of uh, vaccine doses from the Monmouth County Health Department to distribute right here on campus. And we started doing that last week as well. Our hope is that between those two initiatives and many others, we hope to be able to roll out in the weeks ahead, we can do our part as a community to advance the, the distribution and the vaccination rate to all of the members of the community who are interested in getting it. So um, really pleased with uh, the way in which our community partners are stepping up to support us as well. Interesting to see, uh, and I did, I read the list the other day and then I actually pulled it back up this morning knowing that you and I would talk about it. The schools that have been announced that they are requiring vaccines uh, for students come fall of 2021. This is not the full list, but some pretty big names on there. Yale, Georgetown, Stanford, Notre Dame, Duke, Brown, Northeastern, uh, a little bit closer to home. FDU, a school that's going to require vaccinations. Rutgers, a school that's going to require students to have vaccinations as well. And when I say students, let me let me broaden that out. That's students, staff, and faculty. It's across the board. Um, interesting that maybe... Monmouth hasn't necessarily taken a, a full position yet on this. Is it fair to say? We haven't. I mean, it's not to say that we're not thinking about it and that we haven't had numerous discussions about it, but we haven't taken a firm stance yet. And, and that is consistent, we believe, with our decision making through this entire pandemic. Um, we like to, to wait a little bit to see how things play out. We know a lot of schools, as you've mentioned, have already declared that they will require the vaccine. And others have come out publicly and declared that they will not require the vaccine. I think we are still working through that, having conversations with many constituencies around the campus to try to figure out what makes the most sense for us. Let me be clear about one thing, Matt, and that is 
whether whether we require it or not, we, I strongly, strongly, strongly urge people to get vaccinated. I, I have, like you, I have myself uh, now been able to get uh, fully vaccinated. Um, it is the way in which we will be able to uh, grow the the sort of herd immunity, if you will, here on campus and make it uh, much more safe for us to return to some semblance of normal in the fall. So I strongly, strongly encourage it. We haven't decided quite yet whether we will require it or not. And then, and even in deciding that, Matt, it's a first, do we require it of our students consistent with other uh, vaccinations that are required? I mean, under that rubric, we would require it potentially for our students. And then the separate is whether we need to require it of our faculty and staff or just strongly encourage it. I always say I try to keep the number of things as limited as possible that we require anyone in our campus community to do. Um, we just don't want to be that kind of operation unless we have to be. So we just haven't decided yet. They're, they're very good arguments on both sides. We will continue to have those conversations and We'll be making an announcement here soon, whether whether we think it's necessary or not. Yeah, good article that came out uh, over the course of the last couple of days at NorthJersey.com. Rutgers, FDU, Princeton, Montclair State all require students to be fully vaccinated by the start of their fall semester. Uh, there, there are exceptions to that. If you're in an online program, you don't necessarily have to do it. And there are some schools... Um, that it, it's it's more student mandated than anything else. Faculty and staff not required. And then um, I, I think if, if memory serves me correctly, Rowan announced that you won't have to have it. Stockton announced that you won't have to have it. And there are a lot of schools like Monmouth that are still trying to figure out maybe the best way to go about it. Is, is it fair to say, and maybe you haven't quite gotten to this point yet, is it fair to say that the university could not necessarily take a stance. Not could they? Could they say we're not requiring or we're not telling you that you can come to school without it? Is is there somewhere in the middle that you don't necessarily have to say this is our position? Yeah, and I think that somewhere in the middle is uh, we strongly encourage it, but but we won't require it. I think that's sort of the 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 latitude that we might offer if we choose to go that route. I just want to make sure that if we choose to go that route, which would be a safe way to go, because a couple of those institutions you mentioned are under legal challenges right now about whether they can, in fact, uh, whether they you know, have the legal authority to require uh, the vaccine. So we'll see how that plays out as well. But um, I want to make sure, as I mentioned a minute ago, that we do everything we can to grow the vaccination rate on campus because all of the science seems, seems to suggest that is, Matt, the best way for us to get to that you know, herd immunity quickly enough so that we might you know, reopen more normally. And if that's what the science says and that's what the, the real credible healthcare professionals around the country say, then I feel like uh, I have an obligation to our entire community to get those vaccination levels up as high as possible. It's just a matter of whether we're going to feel required to obligate it or not. And, and we just haven't decided on that, that distinction yet. Do you foresee on the campus dashboard site with COVID where, where it says active cases, uh, recovered cases, would there be 
something that would be added at some point that would say students vaccinated, those still not? Like, do, do you foresee schools and universities, not just Monmouth, but do you foresee schools and universities listing how many people in their student population and staff have been vaccinated? You know, it's not a bad idea because uh, we get that question a lot which is uh, regardless of how you got there and what policies you needed to put in place to get there, what are your vaccination levels? So that would be worth considering. There, of course, are privacy concerns there that we want to be uh, sensitive to. Um, we wouldn't always, in collecting this information, we would always keep it in, uh, anonymous. You know, we, we don't need to know exactly who is and isn't. We just would want to know the gross numbers. So, yeah, I could see that as a possible as long as we could find a way to record that information in a timely and accurate fashion, I could see something like that uh, adding to our dashboard. Is it okay that if we do go that direction, can there be a little star that says was suggested on the Monmouth Weekly podcast? Would that be okay? Even even more than that, I'll, I'll suggest that it was uh, Dr. Matt Harmon who suggested it. Yeah. And then if anyone doesn't like it, they know who to call. They know who to, call. They know <laughs> who to, who to complain to. That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, you know, we mentioned it was a very busy week on campus and a very busy week in a lot of a, a lot of good ways. You know, always talking about COVID is something that's important, um, but something that I know you are extremely, extremely proud of. Um, I believe I'm getting the name correctly, Victoria Catalano, a Monmouth grad student receiving the Fulbright Award, which is just an unbelievable accomplishment. And again, to, to the point you and I have made so many times, another little check in the box of how good Monmouth is at certain things. And we want to continue to focus on uh, uh, chasing down prestigious uh, postgraduate fellowships and scholarships as well. We have had on campus, you, you may recall, Matt, four or five or, or six faculty members who have gotten Fulbright Awards to teach uh, overseas. Uh, but it's been a long time that uh, since we've had a student receive a Fulbright. So for uh, Victoria to announce this past week that she has been granted one of these very prestigious awards really is uh, evidence of the kind of talent that we have here. It's my belief that we have a lot more of that talent here, and uh, it's incumbent upon us at the university to develop that talent and to get more students prepared to apply for not just Fulbrights, but Goldwater scholarships and Marshall scholarships and other uh, postgraduate. A couple of years ago, we had a, an NCAA postgraduate uh, scholar. Uh, that is a very prestigious uh, scholarship as well. So we're really proud of that. But I, I just think we could do more of it even in Victoria's evidence that we have the talent here on campus. And fair to say that, again, to, to the busy week last week, fair to say that when the university promotes scholarship week, that this is really kind of one of those first steps for students who are interested in taking it another step forward for them to kind of highlight, almost go through, um, you know, dare I say, a mini process of presentations, putting things together so that if it goes well, they could say, wow, that was that was amazing. I would really like to take this a step further. Very good point. You know, I hadn't really thought of it, but uh, Scholarship Week, which was started just a few years ago here at Monmouth to showcase the work that our students do in collaboration with their faculty mentors really is a training ground for 
those kind of uh, postgraduate uh, applications. So I have to believe that the students that are actively engaged in scholarship week, which we had a number of them last week, uh, are the kind of students that would make uh, good candidates uh, for these uh, for these positions. So last week we had um, all kinds of uh, different topics from the impact of COVID-19 to environmental and geographic studies, academic citizens, diversity, all kinds of different uh, themes that were highlighted uh, during scholarship week, but really a great way for us to showcase uh, the student scholarship work uh, that they're doing with their faculty mentors, which is something that once again, I think is really unique to Monmouth. A, a lot of these scholarship opportunities at much bigger places are reserved for those master's and doctoral students here because of our unique size. Uh, those opportunities are afforded to our undergraduate students uh, in large part, and that's uh, a real value add to our students. And on top of that, not only is it nice to read about, see, and highlight students during scholarship week, uh, see a student like Victoria get the Fulbright Award. It's also the time of year where some some post-academic year awards go out to faculty as well to highlight some of their accomplishments. And I know this past week was was a big week in terms of, of I'll say, some of the big awards that go out to faculty and staff. Yeah, every, every uh, end of the academic year uh, features these kind of uh, awards. And in the last week or so, or at least since we've uh, been together on our last podcast, uh, a few big awards have been announced. Our Distinguished Teaching Award this year went to Dr. Michelle Van Volkum, who's a senior lecturer in our Department of Psychology. So congratulations to Michelle. The Eugene Simcoe Faculty Leadership Award was announced uh, a couple weeks ago. And Dr. Hetty Williams, who's the Assistant Professor of African-American History in the Department of History and Anthropology, uh, was uh, honored with that recognition. So congratulations to Hetty. And then just last week, uh, the 2021 Donald Warnke Award, which is um, an award for um, uh, support, faculty support around the university, which our faculty union uh, bestows, was given this year to Claude Taylor, who you might know is the director of our academic transition and inclusion. And he is also himself a lecturer in our department of communication. So three really big awards that uh, are, uh, I think, rightly given out this time of year as we conclude our traditional academic year. One big one still to come, and that is the, the Stafford Award, which is given to a staff member for their uh, contributions to the community. And that's working its way and uh, will be announced here shortly. So um, congratulations to all of those individuals, uh, maybe at a future podcast, we could have uh, one or, or all of them uh, participate so that you know, our audience can hear directly from them what it means for them to be recognized that way. Yeah, clearly a congratulations from us here at Monmouth Weekly. It is uh, episode number 28 with University President Patrick Leahy. I'm Matt Harmon. Let's change gears a little bit. Uh, and in terms of our, our week that was, athletics uh, something that you and I have near and dear to our hearts and, and like to talk about. The spring sports 
still in progress. I'll say the fall sports in the spring. A um, couple of them wrapping up women's soccer, losing in the MAC championship, men's soccer advancing into the NCAA tournament. They'll play later this week. Football with a heartbreaking loss over the course of the weekend to number two. Uh, Sam Houston State field hockey with a 3-2 loss in double overtime to Stanford. Um, you know, you, you hate obviously hearing the word loss, but if you're playing in the final, you've done something right, win, lose, um, no matter what point of the season you get to, it, it just shows, again, the strength of the teams overall. I mean, is it safe to say, Matt, uh, when I tout routinely that we have one of the top mid-major athletic programs in the country. I mean, is it is it safe to say that given the performance of our teams from top to bottom? I mean, every sport that is participating this spring at Monmouth is doing so uh, in a really, really competitive way. Uh, just a couple of those, if I may. I mean, as you say, you know, women's soccer, one of the great achievements because uh, they, were, they were riddled with injuries uh, all spring, did not have their their full uh, complement of players, but nonetheless advance to the final and lose lose in penalty kicks in overtime. So there's no shame in that. Our men's soccer team goes into the MAC tournament as the number six seed and had to beat the number three seed, the number two seed, and the number one seed, which they did in order to uh, to win the MAC championship and advance to the uh, the national tournament. They draw this Thursday Bowling Green in the first round of the tournament. Um, and then, uh, as we talked about, you know, football won the Big South Championship and uh, uh, traveled down to Huntsville, Texas over the weekend to play uh, Sam Houston State, which is one of the top FCS football programs in the country. In fact, uh, they were essentially the number two seed in the 16 team tournament. Um, so tough draw for us, but pretty clear now a tough draw for them as well. Uh, we had a chance to win that game. And um, you, you, I think you were calling the game, weren't you, Matt, uh, for uh, for Monmouth, um, you know, to have the ball first and goal from the nine, you know, with just uh, a little bit of time left on the clock. Uh, that, 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 that could have been our game, uh, no question about it, and would have been one of the big wins in the history of Monmouth University Athletics. But uh, uh, so proud of the work that those fall sports were doing here in the spring. Yeah, clearly, we wish uh, men's soccer, as you mentioned, they'll play on Thursday, a win there in, in kind of the, the playing round of the NCAA tournament. If they beat Bowling Green, they would play uh, Pitt, who's one of the top teams in the country right now, they would play them over the course of the weekend. The spring sports killing it as well. Uh, I, I'll run through a couple of them right now. Baseball looks like they're going to lock a spot into the MAC playoffs. Men's lacrosse right now is leading the standings in um, the MAC. On the women's side of things, the women's lacrosse teams looks like they're in a good position to get a opportunity to be in the postseason softball right now, first place in the regular season standings. And, and I want to talk about and highlight some of the sports, and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but some of the sports that maybe don't get the attention that overall they would, would deserve an unbelievable run for the men's tennis team, which just continues to be uh, at, at this level, the mid-major level, one of the top teams 
I won't even say in the Northeast anymore. I'm going to say the mid-major level anywhere in the country. Yeah, I think they were prior to the MAC uh, tournament. They were ranked number one in the in the Northeast region. So uh, that, there's your evidence right there that they're one of the top programs, not only in our region but in the country. Then they go to the uh, they run the table in the MAC tournament and uh, secured the fifth straight MAC tennis title. So uh, there's again all the evidence you need that it's one of the top tennis programs in the country. I'd like to think, what do you expect? It's led by Chris Light, who, uh, whom I worked with very closely at Wilkes University back in Pennsylvania. He uh, would run the table routinely there, and uh, looks like he's doing the same here at Monmouth. So congratulations uh, to, to all of them. And, and also women's tennis had a really competitive year this year. Some of the best wins that Patrice Murray would tell you that, that she's had in her time in her tenure as the, as the head coach, and she's been here for many years. So, uh, you know, not to be outdone, the women's, the women's team is, is playing really well. A couple of finishes in the top 10 for uh, the men's golf side in the MAC championship, which took place down in Florida. One top 10 finish for the women's golf team with Elizabeth McCook. Um, so as you, you joked, I think a couple weeks ago, I mean, all, all this under your tenure, it, it you're, Obviously, it's it, 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 as you said. I think it starts at the top, right? <laughs> that, yes, that is true. It does start at the top. Uh, it starts at the top of that department uh, in Dr. Marilyn McNeil and the uh, winning culture that she is she's created there. Let me just throw a quick shout out to our bowling team, who is going to the nationals for the first time in its history. I mean, across the board, Matt. Every every team that is choosing to compete this spring is doing it well. It really is a testament to, to Dr. McNeil and the, and the culture that she's created there, the support that the teams have for one another. It's so, so satisfying for me to go to the field hockey championship on, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, had a rematch against the uh, Stanford Cardinal. And, you know, you know what a, a source of pride it is for me to be able to host Stanford in a championship game here in West Long Branch? I mean, Stanford's one of the great universities in the world and one of the great athletics programs in the world and uh, lost a heartbreaker in double overtime, three to two, which I think was the same score last year. So kudos to the field hockey team. But what a source of pride for me to see so many other teams who were not playing there to support our our uh, our student athletes in field hockey. I think it's just uh, evidence of the kind of culture that we've created in athletics, a total commitment to excellence uh, on the respective fields of play, but also in the classroom because our athletes, our student athletes here at Monmouth, retain and graduate at uh, significantly higher rates than the student population as a whole, which again is um, evidence of the great culture that we've created in athletics. Let's finish with a couple of questions about the summer programming schedule, move into the fall a little bit. I know it's been a point of emphasis for you since you took over to kind of build the summer schedule, do it in more of a remote hybrid online way. Uh, dare I say that's played into the whole idea of the, the pandemic. Maybe that was an easy way to get this up and going. Um, uh, the, the the summer schedule about where you would hope it is at this particular point? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a robust schedule. It's uh, mostly delivered online, which again was part of the intention all along. Uh, we are folding in increasing numbers of <clears throat> in-person uh, courses and, and, and other kinds of uh, summer camps and uh, research projects and that kind of thing. So uh, that will uh, make our summer programming even more robust. Um, really proud that it, at this university, we operate what I like to think of as a 12-month university, which is every month of the year, we are trying to serve students and continue, you know, continue to aid them on their academic journey. Our, our faculty are looking at right now, to that point, the possibility of, an, of a winter session too, because there's you know, three or four weeks there, um, end of December and early part of January, where we believe that there are some students who would like to pick up a course. And to the extent that we can offer quality programming in that condensed period of time, we want to offer it to students. So uh, we're working through that now. There's complexity to that, of course. I don't want to underestimate the complexity, but um, this summer activity is clearly evidence of our being a 12-month uh, university. So uh, there's still uh, openings for uh, seats in classes that are being offered. So uh, if anyone's interested, uh, they just need to check out our summer schedule. Tell me, and I'm, and I'm going to, I feel like throw you a little bit of a curveball with this question. Tell me in, in your mind moving forward, come the fall of 2021, what is the best case scenario for Monmouth? Is it to be back in person, I'll say full time, but with maybe a little bit of the, the hybrid online stuff sprinkled in? Yes. I mean, I think there, there it's clear that there'll be, um, some remote programming sprinkled in, as you say. I, I don't know what percentage, uh, but my hope is that we can get to a point where most of our academic programming is in person and where it makes sense, uh, the balance is delivered in a high quality online fashion. Uh, we will, uh, even if we operate that way, we will still have healthcare protocols in place. Uh, you know, we're probably still going to have masking in the classrooms uh, and maybe at certain places or around the campus. We'll probably limit, you know, some of the huge gatherings on campus a little bit. Um, there will be uh, some social distancing. We don't know yet whether we have to keep to the six feet or whether that might drop to three feet or if everyone's vaccinated, whether, you know, sort of there's no social distancing required, we're still going to work through that. But um, the hope would be that we can bring the full complement of students back to campus. Everyone who wants to live with us can live with us again uh, next fall. Uh, all of our uh, extracurricular programming will run as normal. So fall sports will, will start again in, in August uh, as it normally would. Uh, other extracurricular activities similarly would be available in person. And then we just try to figure out what what uh, mix there'll be on the academic side to make sure that we're delivering academic programming as uh, in as high quality a fashion as possible. So to me, that's that's the uh, the ideal situation. Last question before I let you go. And I just want to confirm it since I think when we come back on in two weeks, it'll be right around that time period, no changes right now to the graduation plans that have been announced? No, no change. Uh, uh, 
four days, seven ceremonies over four days. Really proud to be able to offer uh, those uh, important milestone events in our students' lives in person. Um, I said this the other day that you know some other colleges and universities were, were were stating to me on a recent call, Matt, how important it was that they have in-person ceremonies this year because they can't do the virtual ones again like they had to do last year. And I just so desperately wanted to say, hey, wait a second, not all of us did virtual ceremonies last year. If you recall, we held out late in, even into the summer to be able to offer those in-person ceremonies uh, to our class of 2020. And we'll be able to do the same here in the class of 2021. The only update to our commencement plans this year uh, is that because of the way in which our seven programs are, are uh, being developed, we're now gonna be able to offer each of our students four tickets to the ceremonies. And again, I think in this area, the Northeast part of the country, you'd be hard pressed to find uh, many other colleges and universities that are offering in-person ceremonies and allowing up to four family members to attend. I'm really proud of that. And it's a commitment that we've made from day one to, to offer these, these important milestone achievement uh, ceremonies uh, to our students and their families in person if possible. So uh, it'll be a busy couple weeks, but uh, we're really excited about it. I look forward to talking to you, President Leahy, in the in the better part of the next two weeks. Uh, today, tomorrow, the last two days officially of the spring semester 2021, reading day on Wednesday, and then it's finals uh, after that. So the, the, the busyness will continue, but it'll be busy with the idea that things are wrapping up for what has been just a, an extremely challenging year for everyone involved on campus, yourself included, uh, students, faculty, and staff. We're in the home stretch of making it here in 2020, 2021, that academic year. Um, look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy um, the end part of the semester, and, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks again, Matt, for uh, your your support of this podcast and your interest in it. And uh, I do look forward to to talking with you next time as we, by that point, probably have pretty much completed uh, an academic year that uh, we will not uh, soon or ever forget. University President Patrick Leahy, I'm faculty member Matt Harmon. This puts a cap on episode number 28 of Monmouth Weekly. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Stay safe, everyone.